All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible. And uh, if you need one, there should be some on the chairs there around you, in front of you. Uh, If you're using those Bibles from the chairs, you're going to page 54. And we're going to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46, and we'll be in a little bit in 47 as well. I'll give you a second to turn there. As you turn in there, uh, yesterday, my wife was out with one of the kids, and I had the other three at home. I was laying on the floor. I, I was being productive, by I wasn't like slouching or, you know, sloughing it. I was laying on the floor doing something, and the baby, JJ, had gone around the couch, so I lost visual of him, but he was fine. I could hear him. And um, I, I see... This all kind of happened in a matter of seconds before I could process it. I see this, this mop. It's a Norax type of Swiffer type of mop. I see it raise up in the air. And I thought, well, that's odd. And as I'm thinking that's odd, I see it fall. And as it falls, now we have this battery-operated vacuum that was sitting right there. As it falls, it crashes. The vacuum switch was, was touched, so that it comes on. The vacuum comes on, and then I get up. And I go around the couch and I see JJ just kind of walking as fast as he can right away from it, right? Because it had scared him because the vacuum had come on and the mop had fallen, which he was trying to get. Now, what do you think I did in that situation? Oh, well, I did laugh. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like any good parent would, yes. Yeah, I laughed. Um, no, no, in that moment, I, besides laughing, what I did was I, I said, all right, come on, let's go back over there. We picked up the mop for one. I was not trying to teach him to pick up his mess. That was not the goal, right? But I went and, I, and, I, and we picked up the mop, but then we said, I said, let's turn the vacuum back on. And after we turned it off, we turned it back on, and I just stood there with him while it was on. And he was staring at it. Then the dog rubble comes around, and the dog going, what are we doing? I want in on this action, right? And so, so I, I didn't tell JJ, go and touch it, and I touched it so that he touched it while the vacuum is on, right? And you know, what I'm trying to do is, Okay, this is not a scary thing. Next time you won't be scared by that. Right? And, and, and I was just trying to be there with him. This was not a great parenting moment, by the way. I, I'm just, this, this is really just a sermon illustration. It happened, but I'm not trying to tell you I was a great parent. It was so simple, right? That's really what I was trying to do. But then I realized this morning as I'm prepping the message, you know, and, and I'm thinking, you know, sometimes we need, we need that other person that's safe, that other person that's bigger, that other person that has authority to come along with us in a moment that's scary, in a moment where something happens and we don't know what's going on. He didn't know the vacuum, why it turned on, right? But I, I, I like to think that having me there helped, right? And, and that by being with him in the midst of what was unknown to him, it helped him in that moment just to grow a little bit, just a little bit, and this morning, I want, to, I want to talk about that, growing in the midst of the unknown, the unfamiliar, the uncomfortable, because sometimes that's the place that God grows us. Sometimes the place that God grows you is in the place that is uncomfortable for you. Can you and anybody, do I need to just stop preaching at this point? Does that already hit? Yeah. I mean, I think we can all identify seasons in our life, times in our life where we we had a change, we had something that was going on that was unfamiliar ground to us, it was unknown to us, Uh, we felt uncomfortable in that, and we had a choice to make. Do I go into that or do I run away from that? And I think in many of those cases, we could look at it and say, when I went into it and then I came out of it, I grew because of it. And that's by design. 
And so we're going to see that this morning as we uh, look at Genesis chapter 46. Sometimes the place that God grows you is in the place that is uncomfortable for you. So look with me at Genesis 46 verse 1. We'll read the first four verses and, and then talk about them. So before we, we jump in there, we're still on Jacob. So we talked about Jacob last week, right? So Abraham had, had a son that the promise got passed on, Isaac. Isaac had a son that the promise got passed on to, Jacob. And so Jacob, remember last week we talked about he was on the run. Well, since he's been on the run from his twin brother who he made mad, he's since come back. Right, and him and his twin brother are okay. Jacob has settled in the land. Um, you remember Jacob had some sons? He had originally 12 and then ultimately 13. Do you remember what happened to the youngest son before Benjamin came along, Joseph? Remember the story of Joseph? You would have read about it this week if you're following your reading plan. Joseph, his brothers were jealous, and so they ultimately sold him into slavery into Egypt, and Joseph is taken away into Egypt. His dad is told that some beasts mauled him. Sorry, we couldn't get to him in time. Your youngest son, the one you love so dearly, is no longer around. And so Jacob is left to believe this youngest son is no longer around. And then we get Joseph's story. If you were to read this week, Genesis chapter 37 through 50, that range is all about Joseph. And so you see Joseph in Egypt, and Joseph goes through Egypt, and he is a slave or servant in Potiphar's house. Then he is wrongly accused, and then he ends up in jail. Then while he's in jail, he interprets some dreams, but then he gets forgotten. So then he stays in jail longer than, than he should have been in jail. Then he comes out of jail because Pharaoh had a dream. And he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And because he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh elevates him to second in command in all of Egypt. There's nobody besides Pharaoh higher than Joseph. Right? And then, then there's famine in the land and, and the place where Jacob and his family are living, there's famine there. They have no more food. But Joseph, in his wisdom and the wisdom that God had provided him, had, had had Egypt store up food, enough food to be able to provide for them through the years of famine. Jacob's, uh, Joseph's brothers, the ones who had sold him into slavery, go down to Egypt to get food, ultimately to find out Joseph is second in command in Egypt and that Joseph is the one handing out the food. They go back to tell their dad, Jacob, your son's alive. I'm summarizing a whole lot, obviously. Your son's alive. And that's where we pick up because now Jacob is packing all of his family up and they're going to go down into Egypt where they're going to stay for some time and they're going to be there with Joseph and they're going to have food provided for them. So they're on their way. That's where we pick up chapter 46, verse 1. Israel, which is another name for Jacob. Remember last week we saw he got renamed. He's no longer Jacob, but he's Israel. So Israel began his journey, taking with him all that he had. When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in a vision during the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. He replied, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will certainly bring you back from there. Joseph will close your eyes. Well, let's just look at that for a minute. So, so here Jacob is, him and his family, they're traveling and they're headed south and they hit this town called Beersheba. Now, that, that would be kind of the southernmost part of his land. And as he passes through there, he leaves the land that God had brought them to. See, all of Jacob's life, Jacob had been in this land that God had promised for him. 
All of Jacob's life, he, he, well, I take that back because we did see last, last week he went out of it, but he had grown up in his land for the most part and God had brought him back, but now God is bringing him out again, right? And so like we looked at last week, when he was on his way out, there's, there's some concern about that. Am I going to get back to this land? This is the land that God had promised. And just like we saw last week when he was on his way out of the land, uh, God appeared to Jacob in a dream. He confirms that I'm with you. I'm going to pass these promises on to you. I'm going to bring you back to this land. And God did that. Now Jacob's living in the land again, and now he's headed down to Egypt. He stops at the last point in Israel before he leaves that land, and he worships. Now, Beersheba is, is a significant place because it's there that God had appeared to some of his, his relatives before him. So he knows this to be a spot that is marked as holy, a place where God has revealed himself. And so he's going to stop there. And, and maybe like you, maybe like me, he's reconsidering, do I really want to do this? I mean, on the other side of this journey is his youngest son who he thought was dead. And he's going to get some more years with him. But he's leaving the land of the promise Will God really bless him as he leaves this land just because he wants to go see his son? Is he going to get back in land? Is he forfeiting the promises by leaving this land? Like these are, these are questions that could be going through his mind. And again, just like before, he's leaving the land where God has revealed himself. Will God reveal himself in Egypt to me? Or once I leave here, will I be distant from God? Right? All of this kind of stuff could be going through his mind. And so here he stops at the southernmost point before he leaves the land and he worships. He offers sacrifices there. In verse 2, we find out God again appears to Jacob. Now, you remember I said a difference between a dream and a vision? Dream, you're asleep and you have a vision. A vision, you're awake. What does this one say? A vision at night. It's kind of weird because it's not a dream. It's not the word for dream. And it's not just a vision. It's a vision at night. So did he have a dream or was he awake at night? I don't know. I tend to think he was awake at night. It doesn't really matter. But just building on something we looked at last week. So God appears to him and he assures him, I'm going to be with you. Once again, God appears to Jacob as Jacob's leaving the land. I'm going to be with you. He says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. In other words, keep on going. Don't be afraid because I'm going with you. Now, before we go any further, how often when we're transitioning in life, whether it's a move, whether it's job change, whether it's relationship change, whether it's a major decision of, of some kind, or even whether it's not a major decision, how often do we stop before moving forward and ask the Lord, is this how you're leading? How, how often do we stop and reflect and take time to allow the Lord to speak into what we're about to do. Is this where you're going or am I just walking ahead of you? Is this you guiding me or have I been blazing my own path? How often do we stop to do that? I think we could stand to do it probably more if we're being honest. Lord, are you doing this? Are you in this? Uh, this, this business decision, is, is this something you're in? Right? And it may not be a lot of time. It may just be a simple stopping to surrender. God, if this is from you, I want to move forward. If it's not, I want to stop. I want to surrender. And here Jacob is, and he stops before he goes and he worships. And there could have been all kinds of things included in that night of worship, but he sacrifices. He, he commits himself. He shows and expresses his devotion to God as he's leaving this land and going into a land that is surrounded with other gods. 
How often do we stop and say, Lord, are you in this? And are you going with me through this? Because I don't want to lose you in the midst of this. I don't want to be distracted from you as I move down this path. I don't want the distractions in this relationship to pull me away from you. He stops and he worships. And God says to him, do not be afraid, verse three, to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Do you remember the promise that God had given to Abraham, passed on to Isaac, passed on to Jacob? You're going to be a nation. I'm going to make people, peoples come from you. I'm going to make many descendants for you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know, up, up to this point, Jacob's not necessarily considered a nation yet. Right? As we're going to see, he's got about 70 people that is going with him down to Egypt. That's hardly a nation. That's just a family. Right? Some of you have bigger families than that. Right? And so here, here God affirms to him, go down to Egypt. I'm going to go with you. And it's there. It's while you're in Egypt that I'm going to make you a nation. You see, sometimes God wants us to go into the unknown, into the uncomfortable place before he grows us. But what we often want is grow me, Lord, so that I can go into that. And what if we're waiting on the Lord to, to step in and, and grow us, to, to show us something before we follow him in faith, and because we're waiting on him to do something when he wants us actually to follow him in faith, we miss out on some of the growth that he may intend for us in that, in that moment or in that next season. Because it would not be faith for us to say, God, I'm gonna go, but I'm only gonna go if. But if God is leading you or you believe, man, I've been praying, I've been submitting myself to the Lord, I, I believe this is his leading, but there's still some unknown and you're gonna wait for some assurances, you're gonna wait for some kind of signs, that's starting to, to drift away from living a life of faith and moving toward living a life based on sight. And sometimes God wants us to go ahead and go Go ahead and make that decision. Go ahead and step out. Go ahead and be uncomfortable. Go into the unknown, and then you'll find as you're in it, oh, now he's growing me. Now he's, he's, he's teaching me the things that maybe I couldn't have learned unless I was here. He says, go down to Egypt, and there I will make you a great nation. He says, verse four, I will go down with you to Egypt and I myself will certainly bring you back up from there. In other words, Jacob, you're, you're gonna be back in this land. Now, it's not gonna be Jacob himself, but his family. You're not losing the promises of God. You're not losing this land. And then Joseph will close your eyes, which is a fantastic statement. You see, because what God is doing in this moment is he's, he, here you got Jacob who's going down to Egypt, one, so his family can survive because there's food, but two, he's gonna get to see the son he thought was dead for years. He never thought he'd get to see his son again. And now he's going down to see his son and God assures J Jacob, Joseph will close your eyes. Which was a way of saying he's gonna be with you when you die. He's gonna be present with you. You may not have had him all these years, but you're gonna to get to spend the next, and, I, and if I, I remember it correctly, it was someone around like 17 more years or something like that, that he, he gets to have with, with Jacob. Oh, with Joseph, and then Joseph's gonna be with him as he passes. Now, here's what I wanna say about that. God is really good. He gives us all that we need and oftentimes gives us far more than we need. And God is a God who likes and delights in granting the desires of his people's heart. 
you got to believe that Jacob longed and desired to see his son Joseph again. And for God to say, Joseph is going to close your eyes is just an extra level of God's kindness and his goodness because God didn't have to do that. God could have preserved them in the land they were in and yet he orchestrated it so that Jacob had to go down to Egypt just to survive and guess what? It just so happens that your son Joseph was there. What are those desires that you have? What are those things that you've been praying for, longing for, that you think God's not concerned about these kind of things? And so you're not bringing him to him and you're you're not asking him for them because you think he won't concern himself with that. I want to show you real quick. We're we're just going to jump over to Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4 real quick, where it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So here's a couple things we've got to understand though. So when I say, what are those desires in your heart? What are those things that you're longing for God to give you? When we read a verse like this, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've got to look at the first part before we consider the second part, right? It's not just saying God is like a genie and he's going to give you whatever you wish for. He's not. God does not give you oftentimes the things that you and I want. James in the New Testament tells us in chapter four that sometimes we don't have things because we don't ask. But then sometimes we still don't have them because when we do ask, We ask with the wrong motives. Listen, God knows what's good for us. He he knows how we're going to use things. He knows the things that we don't know and we can't see. And so there are times where we're asking God for stuff. We're asking God him to do something, work in this way, work in this way, bless me here, bless me there. And he knows far better than us that that's not gonna be a good thing for us. And so he may not do it. But the first part, he says in verse three, trust in the Lord. Okay, so that implies there's some kind of relationship here, right? I'm trusting in him. I'm living my life dependent upon the Lord. And do good, so I'm living that out. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So that's a reference to the people of Israel living in the land. In other words, be in the land that God promised you. Be faithful in the land, obey God, and then delight yourself in the Lord. What does it look like to delight myself in the Lord? Well, it includes trusting in the Lord. It includes being faithful to him. It means I'm delighting in the things that he delights in. It means I'm aligning my life, my beliefs, my lifestyle with the Lord. As I do that, as I delight in the Lord, guess what starts to happen? My desires change. Some of them them were okay desires before and so they stay. Other desires that maybe were not okay, that were not aligned with the Lord, those start to go because I start to desire more the things of the Lord and less the things that are opposed to him. And as I delight myself in the Lord, those desires that I may have, there's a good chance that those desires are from the Lord. Those longings as I'm delighting myself in the Lord, there's a good chance those longings are from the Lord. And so as I ask him for them, I can trust that he delights in giving me the things that I desire. And so to, Joseph, to Jacob, he says, Joseph's going to close your eyes. He's going to grant Jacob a desire that he surely as a father would have longed for. Again, what are those things that you've got in your heart that you've been longing for that you think God's not concerned about these kind of things? And so you're not going to him with them. You're not asking him for them. You're not submitting those and saying, Lord, would you, would you consider, would you please give, would you act in this person's 
What are those things? Start asking him for them. Start trusting him as a good God who delights not only in giving you the things that you need, but delights in giving you the things that you desire as well. So we go back to Genesis chapter 46. We're gonna jump to verse 31 now. So now Jacob and his family have arrived in Egypt and Joseph meets them. And Joseph is instructing them, hey, you're gonna go before Pharaoh. And he says to them in this, then Joseph said to his brothers, verse 31, and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They take care of livestock. They have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. Pharaoh will summon you and say, what is your occupation? Tell him your servants have taken care of cattle from our youth until now, both we and our fathers, so that you may live in the land of Goshen. For everyone who takes care of sheep is disgusting to the Egyptians. Okay, so Joseph is prepping them to go before Pharaoh. Tell them your shepherds so that we can live in this area of the land. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But you've got this statement there because shepherds, and, and, and it's not necessarily just taking care of sheep. It says shepherds, which could include livestock as well. Shepherds were disgusting to the Egyptians. Now, you might find yourself reading that and going, why? And then if you're really an astute reader and you keep reading, you find out later when they are standing before Pharaoh, and we're going to see this, he says, if you have anybody who's capable, let him take care of my livestock. So it's not that, the, that shepherds are disgusting to the Egyptians because they don't have shepherds themselves. It's not something about cows specifically or sheep specifically. That was improper grammar. Sheep specifically. Um, it's not about that. But there's something that has, has made shepherds disgusting to Egyptians, despisable to Egyptians, and Jacob tells them about that. It's likely what happened is there was a group of people about 100 years before the time Joseph showed up in Egypt. Egypt was a constantly changing hands with people groups leading over it, and there was a group of people who made their way in at some point. They came from the same area that, that Jacob and his family is coming from, from east of Egypt, from the continent of Asia. In fact, when you read about them, they're called Asiatics because they came from east of Asia. Now, these people came in, and they caused some controversy in Egypt. And sometimes these people... They, they technically are called the Hyskos, H-Y-S-K-O-S. But sometimes those people were referred to as shepherd kings. And they left a bad taste in the mouth of the Egyptians. And so it's likely as Jacob's family's coming from the east, from the region of Asia, they would have been uh, at least associated with, oh, Asiatics people from that same area where those shepherd kings came from. And so Joseph is aware of the dynamics, and so he's, he's trying to coach his brothers. You need to make sure and you, you communicate this to Pharaoh so that we can live in this area. And what we're going to see is that area also keeps the people separate. So we go on now to chapter 47, verse 3. So here they are standing before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to Joseph's brothers, what is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, your servants take care of flocks just as our ancestors did. Then they said to Pharaoh, we have come to live as temporary residents in the land. There is no pasture for your servants' flocks because the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. So now please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. 
Verse five, Pharaoh says to, to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best region of the land. They may live in the land of Goshen. If you know of any highly capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Okay, so, so here, here what we see is God has brought Jacob and his family from this land that God has promised outside of that land so where in Egypt they're gonna be able to have food provided for them he gets to reunite with Joseph. And as if that wasn't enough, he so orchestrates things so that now the people and the family of Jacob get to live in the best of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh, who rules over all of Egypt, says to them, all of Egypt is before you. Pick the best land. Go live in Goshen. Now, why is Goshen the best of the land? If you've got livestock, herds, flocks. You need grass for them to graze. You need water for them to drink. Now you can see on this map a lot of brown. But the Nile River runs there, right there through the continent of Africa there. The Nile River runs up and heads into that Mediterranean Sea there. And you see how it gets green? You, you know what you're looking at. That's because the, the Nile breaks off into branches. And, and the, the, the cycle is that that Nile would, f would overflow throughout the year. So all the land in that area would be well watered, well irrigated. It would be flourishing with grass, pasture land. So it's a perfect place if you've got livestock, herds, that you need a place for them to graze. This is the place you want them to be. And so God so orchestrated it so that as Jacob is heading out of this land, not only do you get all these other things, but the best of the land. But Jacob didn't know that before he went down there. I mean, look, look, you and I always want God to give us the details. Tell me what's gonna happen ahead of time. God, tell me that I am gonna get to see my son Jacob. God, tell me that when we get there, Pharaoh is gonna look upon us with favor. God, tell me when we get there that you're gonna provide for us and you're gonna give us the best land to live in. God, tell me that you're gonna provide for my needs and that you're gonna give me the house that I want in the right neighborhood that I want. My kids are gonna to go to the right school that, they, that, that we want them to go to and that we're gonna have great neighbors who don't annoy us or whatever it is that you're wanting. Lord, show me all that and then I will follow you. And yet, God just said, Jacob, go. I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna bring you back. And we see how God has provided for them once they get there. Sometimes the place God grows you is in the place that is uncomfortable for you. Um, if you're following along on the reading plan, you've noticed that at the top they have memory verses each week, and the kids have the same one. One of those memory verses for this week has been Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And as we were talking about it with the girls on the way in this morning, the two that came with me because they were working on uh, getting that in their head, um, we, were, we were making sure and pointing out something. That's not a promise for everybody everywhere. It's not saying that God causes all things to work together for the good of everybody. He does not. 
No, it's specifically for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 falls in the context of 29 and 30 and the verses that come before that. And what Paul is communicating to them is God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, those who have a relationship with God. And then he defines what the good is. It's being conformed to the image of God, the image of Christ. And so what, what we need to understand is that as a believer in Christ, if you belong to Christ, nothing in your life is wasted. No experience is wasted. So if you're facing an uncomfortable situation or an unknown situation or a transition of some kind, you need to know that God causes all things to work together for good. In other words, God's got your good in mind. If you belong to him, if you've trusted in Christ, he's got your good in mind and he is going to use whatever comes in your life, even the mistakes that you make, he's gonna cause it all to work together ultimately for your good so that you will look more and more like Christ. Sometimes that takes place in uncomfortable situations, unknown, foreign types of situations. What is it that God might be leading you to? Some of you maybe are standing right on the edge of some kind of change, some kind of decision that's facing you, some kind of life-changing life, uh, moment. Maybe it's a relationship that you're wondering about getting in or getting out of. Maybe you're, you're right there on the transition and you're engaged and you're about to get married. That's a big change. Maybe you are about to become a parent for the first time or again or a grandparent for the first time. Or maybe you've got questions about the career field or the job that you've been in or some kind of business decision that's looming and there's some unknown factors in it. What is it for you? Because it may be that God is, is saying to you, step out. Do you trust me? And if you've been delighting yourself in the Lord, Trust that he's, he's, he's got your good in mind. If you're not delighting yourself in the Lord, you should be worried. Absolutely. If you're not delighting yourself in the Lord, you need to check your motives. Maybe you need to say, Lord, is this from you? It, it, have, I, have I consulted you at all at this point? Because listen, if you're blazing a path opposed to the Lord and then asking him to slap his blessing upon it, he does not do that. Instead, he'll say, you want to go that way? Go but you won't find my blessing there. What is it that you're facing that God might be saying to you this morning, go, I'm going with you. And you know, as we, as we think about Jacob, he went down into Egypt for the sake of the survival of his family so that God could continue to pass the promises on and ultimately bless all the nations of the earth through Jacob's family. There's a descendant, a family member of Jacob later down the line, who his family too had to take him down to Egypt because King Herod was seeking the life of God's king, Jesus. And so God appeared, an angel appeared to, to Mary and Joseph to go down to Egypt and you'll be safe there unknown place, unfamiliar. But he did that so that the Messiah, Jesus, could be preserved and protected so that God could continue to advance and move forward his promises so that through Jesus, all the nations of the earth could be blessed. 
And then Jesus would grow up and he would live his life and then he would, he would come to the point where, where he, he, he would reach the very point that he came for. And he would go down, once again, into death this time. A place that Jesus had never known. A place that God himself had never experienced. And we see Jesus the very night before he, he goes to the cross. Lord, if there's any other way, so we know the agony, we know the, the, the uncomfortable nature of what he was facing, and yet he would go down into death. But God would bring him back up again. But he must go down into death so that God can continue to advance his plan in order to bless all the nations of the earth through him. Because when God brought him back up again, and he raised and he claimed victory over sin and over the impact of sin over death, he's then able to extend to all people everywhere. Come to me. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me all who thirst. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who provides nourishment. I'm the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Some of you, maybe you've never considered that, that God sent Jesus who went down into death and then God brought him up from death into a new type of life. And he didn't do that just to show off his power. He did that so that there would be a way made for people who were separate from God to be brought in so that all the nations of the earth could be blessed through him. You don't receive God's blessing apart from Christ. You don't belong to God's family apart from Christ. God wants to grow us, but sometimes it requires going into uncomfortable situations. For some of you, that's the uncomfortable thing this morning. I've been skirting around this. I've got family. I've got friends who have been talking to me, but I haven't wanted to take that step. Perhaps this morning, God's calling you to trust him. Trust in Christ. Respond to what God has done for you, the love that he's shown for you. That's what communion's about. And maybe you saw it pictured there this morning in a new way. So here's what we're gonna do as we wrap this up. Let's just take a moment and let this settle. And ask the Lord, what do you have for me today? For some of you, it may be responding to Christ. And again, I'll point you to your bulletin. There's a great prayer there that maybe you could use as a way to express that belief that God may be producing in you. So let's take a moment and set, settle on that.
Father, I'm thankful that we can, because of Christ, say, I'm yours. I belong to you, a loving, compassionate Father, a God who has pursued the people, his creation who was not interested in him, but yet your love moved and compelled you to move toward us, even while we're moving away. So God, thank you. And then I pray, God, that you would help us to move toward others in a similar way, that the same type of love that you've moved toward us with, that we would move towards those who need to know that love, that we would not wait for them to respond or come to us, but that, God, we would seek them out where they are, and in doing so, demonstrate the same type of love that you've shown us. Father, as we depart from here today, God, that which you, would, you would help us to, to know and trust you more deeply than we have before. And to step out and trust you in situations that are uncomfortable, that are unfamiliar, that are foreign to us. But yet know that, God, you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to this purpose and that we remind it that you delight to give us the desires of our hearts as we delight in you. Let that be contagious and infectious for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.